live from the Bunkhouse Saloon in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada, this is Bunkhouse! now where we are so partisan, where we are so politically divided that we no longer know how to argue effectively. I think everybody can kind of agree with that on a level, on some level. But this isn't the only time in our American history where we've had this situation. Back in 1911, we had a similar sort of partisanship where people were so polarized with the, the beginnings of globalization, with World War I coming, with all kinds of stuff going on, that in Chicago, Illinois, in Washington Square Park, anarchists, radicals, free thinkers, insane people would get up in Washington Square Park on soapboxes and they would debate the issues of the day. It was so radical that they dubbed it Bug House Square, which is a pejorative for a loony bin, which is also a pejorative, but you get the point. Well, that did its, it had its time. And then in the 50s, after World War II, we kind of hit another point where we were incredibly divided as a nation. And it was coming, the coming civil uh, rights movement was coming in the late 50s, and you had Eisenhower as the president, things were nuts. And Studs Terkel, who is a venerated Chicago journalist reinvigorated the Bug House Square idea, and they had on soapboxes debates about the issues of the day. 2019, we are fucking divided. I could walk out on the street right now, find a random person on the street, and say, I loved that Game of Thrones ending. <laughs> And five minutes later, we're getting into a fist fight over fucking Game of Fucking Thrones. This is where we're at. Can't argue well. Thus, Bug House. The, the art of the dialectic. The six performers that you're going to see tonight did not get to choose their topics. The six performers did not get to choose the side of the topic they get to debate. But they each were charged with, here's your topic, here's the side you're going to debate. You have seven minutes to persuade uh, this audience that you're correct on this issue. Now, a lot of, now, uh, uh, this is part of my goal. In Vegas, they don't call it live lit. In Chicago, we call all the literary shows live lit. So I'm trying to bring that term to Las Vegas, live lit. And in most live lit shows in Chicago, the audience gets to vote, and that's democracy. But we don't live in a democracy. So some of them have teams of judges, like at the tables, the teams of judges, and that's representative democracy. But we don't live in a representative democracy. We live in an oligarchy. We live in a world where 1% of the rest of us decides for everybody. He doesn't know this, 
But our 1% tonight is Mr. Donald Hickey. Give him a hand. <laughs> Donald Hickey, tonight you will be the sole determiner of who wins and loses each bout. I will turn to you. You don't, if you want to explain yourself, you can. You don't have to. Listen to each debate. Decide for yourself who wins. You will assign the winner of each round. Yes, that's how happy I am that you came tonight. That's how excited. All right, so give him a hand now because you may hate his guts in a little while. That's how it works. That's how it works. All right. Part of our online culture has provided us with an opportunity online to call out people for behavior we find egregious. We call it the call out culture. Now the question at hand, and to be debated by Pearson Brown and Jessica Pena, is, is call out culture toxic or is it necessary? I believe it was Albert Camus who once said, with the taste of your lips, I'm on a ride. You're toxic, I'm slipping under. And I think he was talking about a certain type of culture that would come over us in the future time, a culture called call-out culture. Now, to explain it in layman's term, call-out culture is when the internet comes together to mob shame someone so that they can uh, suffer either socially or financially. And this whole endeavor is inherently toxic from the core, whether you believe it's good or bad. Now, I want to talk about a couple of examples. I might get canceled for this now, I, I understand, but I am a red-blooded American. I believe in hard work, I love my grandma, and I think that uh, people higher in the social hierarchy shouldn't have to deal with the same problems as we do. I don't think they should be punished in the same way, and I think that all of us coming together and, and saying that what they've done in the past or how they're talking to people and, and how they behave and treat people like objects, that, that's, not, that's not fair to them. Ima imagine that you spent all of your life just fighting with everyone, stepping on everyone's faces, treating them like objects, and that's thrown back at you. That's not fine, that's not okay. And now uh, I, I'd like to point out a couple of examples. Uh, a, a, a recent one that happened, uh, a good Christian man, a news reporter, Alex Jones, was uh, deplatformed because he simply told people that um, their children who died in school shootings were never real. That's an attack on free speech and I, I just can't stand for that. It's, it's disgusting, and that's not what I want in my America. A another great example is uh, Mr. Kelly. Uh, despite people knowing of his actions and his behaviors for years upon years, and people in power doing absolutely nothing to do anything to him at all, he just kept amassing wealth and amassing fame, eventually this mob came at him and, and made him cry on television. A man cried on television. That's, that's not the society I want to live in. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that call-out culture is toxic because what call-out culture is supposed to do is to dissolve the social status of a person. When you call someone out, you're trying to destroy what they have in the public eye. I can't personally say that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I do believe that it's happening and it's going on right now. Uh, 
also, I I I I think that I'm I'm seeing some faces in the crowd, and I think maybe you're you're not getting it right. Um, so, ima imagine this: you've worked all your life in the businesses, and 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 you've gone all your days just going and going, and and winning and winning, no one ever telling you that you're wrong, and then suddenly. All these people start to, all these people who are below you, these lesser people, start to saying that you're doing the wrong stuff, that you're being bad, and, and they keep using their collective voices and this populism idea to, to push that you're a bad person and you should lose because of that. It, it's, it's wild that you would think that like, just because your actions have been bigoted or racist or xenophobic, that you should have to suffer consequences from that. And, I'm, I'm honestly disgusted. Like, here. All right, let, let's cut the bullshit. Fuck it. We're off the record. So what I'm trying to say is that, at its core, call-out culture is meant to be toxic. It, 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 if you think that it's good or it's bad, either way, toxicity is what it's supposed to do. I, I, I don't think that you can actually look at it objectively without saying that if you say, I believe that call-out culture is good, then yes, awesome. You want it to dissolve people's social status. You want it to, to ruin them financially. You want them to be pushed out of society. But Call it culture does have these these things that you know are bad, I guess. You know that that are are negative to the good people or whatever. You know it it it, it it's so nebulous this call out culture that it can be weaponized by anyone, any bad actors that it can and it can attack anyone with any amount of social clout. I, I know you're a little older, so clout is like being popular. It's like you know social significance, just helping you out a little bit. Um, it can be used to destroy these people's lives without any idea of who they are, or what they've done, or how they've changed. Call it culture can be utilized in such a way that regardless of who you are as a person in the now, the actions of your past, which as people we should grow, which, duh, like that's what people do, you shouldn't be the same person that you were yesterday. But in this call out culture age, you can do that. You can, you can attack anyone for anything, and that's, toxic. That's destroying them and dissolving them. And even if you do destroy their lives and destroy who they are financially and socially, they're still a person. They're still going to be around. And at the worst, they're just going to move further to awful. They're just going to become shittier, shittier people because they're ostracized from the people that actually could help them be better. You could help them be better. And I'm not talking about fucking Nazis or fucking like people who are far out there and trying to fuck up everyone who doesn't look like them. I'm talking about the people who are in the middle, who, who have fucked up in the past and are trying to move past it. The people who aren't who they used to be, which is nearly everyone. And I think that if you really look at call-out culture objectively, you know that that's wrong. Yeah, there you go. All right, give him a hand. Come on, give him a hand. All right, so you have call-out culture is toxic and that you're an old man.
that you know these things about you now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for the counterpoint, Jessica Pena, give her a hand, come on. Just uh, for the record, I would never call you old, just to start off with that. Uh, does anybody know who James Charles is? Yeah. Or any? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad that there's some people who do. I, I don't. I know that right now he's, he's big with um, call-out culture and social media. He's some kind of um, makeup guru who hits on guys and makes them feel uncomfortable. I don't really know much about it, so I'm not going to talk about it. I just, I just wanted to put it out there um, that I want to talk about something kind of related to what Ryan was talking about, um, people who used to be one, one, one way and then they change and they're given the opportunity to change. And um, my avenue for that is punk rock. And I say that because punk is anti-establishment. They're anti-authority. They are the original call-out culture before social media. And if you're mad about something, you'd start a band, you'd write smart lyrics, you'd call someone out, and then they'd have to answer to it or not, but you had a group of people who would come together and they'd hear you and they'd, they'd listen to what you had to say. And so they played their heart out for like, you know, two to three minutes super fast. And, <laughs> you know, and, and they get their point across. And um, so now that you guys, um, you know, don't really know James Charles that much, neither do I, what about Fat Mike from No yeah. Effects? Yeah. Okay, all right. So um, if you do know him, uh, you'll know that he offends everyone. <laughs> he's made a sport of it, you know, anyone, everyone, if you've been to one of his shows, you'll know that, um, like, if he sees someone in the, in the crowd that's in a wheelchair, like, he'll make a joke saying, let's hear it for lazy people, like, he's, he's, <laughs> he's a fucked up guy, right, like, um, and he, he also, uh, for the song, Fuck the Kids, like, he'll, he'll narrow out one kid in the crowd, and he'll dedicate it to that one kid, and then after the song, he'll go and he'll, um, He'll teach the kid about um, all things like in the sexual lexicon that they shouldn't know about, like chili dogs or pearl necklaces or snowballs. And if you don't know what the fuck those are, don't look. <laughs> at least not at work. Um, so anyway, he relishes in making people feel uncomfortable and he's made a pretty successful career out of that in the past 36 years. Um, and there's only a few instances pre-social media days where he was called out for it, for being such an asshole. Um, one of the times is when um, he made mention uh, on stage that he had a hurt shoulder and uh, if anybody were to come up to like not touch him, well some drunk fan, you know, being punk, like fucking do, just do exact opposite of what you say and he ran up on stage and he put his fucking arm around him and then Mike threw him off of him and then fucking kicked him in the face, you know, like <laughs> of course he got called out for it, but there was no real repercussion because this was before social media and before, you know, like, I don't know, the guy got a t-shirt and a chance to kick Mike back, you know, like, <laughs> just hella punk. But, um, and another thing that he did, um, nasty, he pissed in a tequila bottle and then he gave out free shots to his <laughs> concert goers. So if there's anybody that fucking needs to be called out, you know, it's, it's this guy. But like, he just kept getting away with it for years and years and years and years. And it was not until last year um, that something happened. It was uh, last May. It was the punk rock, uh, the, the bowling festival, the punk rock bowling. And um, they're gonna be having it this upcoming weekend, but no effects wasn't invited back. And I'm sure you guys all heard about it being from Vegas, 
Um, normally they'll get up and they'll do like dick and fart jokes, but instead of that, uh, they just went directly to the Route 91 Harvest Festival uh, on who to pick on. So there's a conversation between Fat Mike and Eric Melvin, um, who's the lead guitarist for No Effects. And it was after the song uh, 72 Hookers. And that song itself is completely offensive. It's about achieving world peace uh, using 100,000 hookers uh, giving Muslims blowjobs to, to give world peace. So that's, you know, that's what they fucking started with. But Fat Mike, this is what he said. We played a song about Muslims and we didn't get shot. Yay! And Eric. I guess you only get shot in Vegas if you're in a country band. Fat Mike. That massacre sucked, but at least they were country fans and not punk rock fans. So, you guys know, like 58 people were killed, 851 wounded. It was the worst mass shooting in US history. And it happened here in Vegas, like eight miles away. So I don't need to remind you just how sensitive of a subject this is. And so he gets on social media and apologizes, like three or four days later, he said that he wanted to make sure that he, he wrote it, you know, in a way where he actually meant the words. And on Twitter, he said that it was shitty, uh, insensitive, and that he was embarrassed. His formal apology said that uh, it was shameful that he crossed the line of civility, excuse me, crossed the line of civility. And on Instagram, uh, he went on how the, the band was uh, banned, essentially, from the US, even though they, they weren't banned uh, completely. It was just uh, that their sponsors dropped them for the uh, for the festival, and uh, they apologized twice, and that they were suffering, but you know that they were going to get through it. But what makes me so mad is at the end of that uh, Instagram post, his hashtag was, "When did punk rock become so safe?" Well, punk rock became so safe when you can't tell the difference between what Trump says and what a punk rocker says. Like, you're not supposed to be fighting the people, you're supposed to be fighting the establishment. Like, why, why take that easy road? Um, and then, uh, punk rock became safe when you can no longer go to an outdoor festival and not be scared. Like, I should be in a mosh and be scared of the huge guy next to me instead of an active shooter. Like, that's, that's what I want to be scared of, is that that fucking guy right there in the mosh pit. I want to be scared of him. I don't want to be scared of a shooter. And then punk rock became so safe when he failed to show up and grow as an artist. Right now, um, just recently, he, his last album was his um, Koki the Clown. Sorry, it's Koki the Clown, and it's, um, he has a song called Fuck You All. And he's mad, you know, at the people who took away his, you know, this, this fucking VIP thing. This is a show, Punk and Drublick. And I went to it, and it was fucking fun, you know, in Tacoma, Washington. But who the fuck has VIP for punk? Like, I don't, I don't fucking need that shit. Like, you know, come to me and, you know, I'll fucking, it just, it doesn't make sense, you know. Um, but the thing I, I want to say that cult culture is necessary for is that he's going to come out with an album that's about, all of no effects stage banter. And I think it's a bad idea <laughs> because it's gonna be titled, You Think Vegas Was Bad. So 
essentially, I want to put that out here and use this as my avenue to say that I want a call to action for anybody who's here and anybody who cares to go on social media and, you know, uh, don't let that happen. We, we have a voice. We have an avenue. We can call this motherfucker out and say that it's not cool. Thank you. All right. Jessica, come on up. Both of you come on up on stage. Now we have an opportunity for anybody in the audience, if you have, we're gonna give three questions. If you have a question, we'll give each one of them an answer, a minute to answer. Anybody have a question for either Pearson or Jessica? It's okay if you don't. Uh, sure. All right. At what point is call-out culture, like the punishment doesn't fit the crime? Because I see, it seems to me that seems to be the problem. If it doesn't, maybe you did do something you said many, many years ago, and you've grown as a person, and then you know they get to be completely dissolved away from who they were because of who they were, you know. Then, so where where's the line? So what's the statute of limitations? Yeah. Is basically all right. Who who's that for? Who are you asking? Oh, I'm asking. Go ahead. All right, Pearson. Do you want my uh, serious answer? Yes. Your persuasive. Yes. Okay. Um, so. Call it culture, you know, like it, it can be used for good, it can be used for bad. I think that the, um, the dividing line is who has social power in a situation. A dude who's just a fucking asshole, but like really is, has no power over you as a person in, in the end of the day, really like, what are you gonna fucking do? If we're really gonna change things, we need to change people who have societal power. So the people who have control over other people, the people who can actually do something to affect it, yeah, no, your Uncle Larry isn't gonna fuck, you're not gonna change his mind that he thinks fucking like, like people in the Middle East have sex with goats or something. Like, you're not gonna switch that up, but, you should consistently be trying to make sure that your boss doesn't think that women are less of people Absolutely. because he actually has control over it. Your Uncle Larry just works at like a junkyard. He's a, he has, he's, he's a boss over a dog. That's it. Just a junkyard job. <laughs> All right. It's a minute. Good. All right. Good. Any other questions? All right, Donald. Call out culture is toxic or call out culture is necessary. Who wins the round. Do you want me down here or up there? You can say it from right where you're at. Uh, I think call out culture is necessary because uh, the punk rock analogy really hit a chord with me. Uh, number one, no effects have always sucked as a band. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I went for bad religion, so it's there you cool. Go. Number, number two, um, you know, the thing about it is no effects has been calling people out for bullshit reasons and all these other bands. So they've been kicking people in the dick for all the, for 36 years, however long they've been around. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they get kicked in the dick, they cry like babies. Yeah. So I see call-out culture as the internet's way of sort of giving the people some power to tell the 1%, which would be, you know, a lot of people you mentioned, the famous people who are doing all this shitty stuff, you know, hey, you know, knock it off. Especially the fans of NoFX who might just be like, hey, we're your fans, but shut the fuck up. So you're yeah. giving it to Jessica. All right, Jessica, baby, give her a hand. I'm pretty sure everybody's familiar with Alabama. I'm pretty sure everybody in this room knows what happened in Alabama just this last week. Now, the question becomes, this is the thing. 
I've heard the phrase, we've all heard the phrase, the future is female. So the question, the debate that we're going to have between Shimmy Hernandez and Dana German tonight is the future is female, are men obsolete? I'm going to go there. It's only seven minutes. If you're sticking around, I hope you're ready for the raw. All right, you're dismissed. If not, that concludes tonight's trigger warning. For something that makes me personally truly sad and mad and all sorts of feels to write simultaneously as I move beyond the typically sterile scientifically backed information that states quite starkly that 7% of men worldwide are infertile or subfertile. And in roughly a quarter of cases, the problem is traceable to new Y chromosome mutations now present in their fathers, which disable one or the other few remaining genes. This is an astonishingly high figure, and there's no reason to think that things will improve. One by one, Y chromosomes will disappear, eliminated by the relentless onslaught of irreparable mutation until only one is left. When that chromosome finally succumbs, men will become extinct. Yay! Okay, not a bang, folks. A whimper. A whimper. Supposing, too, uh, you know, personally, a nihilistic silliness is present among the sadness and the resentment. For, alas, exposure to the virus man doesn't always mean death, but it does, for so many, mean unwarranted dominion. I hate being forced into a corner with men, many that respect my space. Too much and not enough. And mostly, it's not enough. Christmas, 2002, I'm 22 years old. I'm back in my hometown. In two weeks, out of twos, I'll be in California for the first time, working my first gig out of college. A creatively gifted but socially ill-equipped male friend invites me to a party. We walk in the dimly lit back door, booze stacked on a card table by the kitchen. Living room TV plays the delirium tremens scene from Leaving Las Vegas. I'm escorted back and back to meet the host. He is sweatpants and a bad haircut sitting on a gaudy bedroom set, shrugging outward. He offers me the gilt-edged mirror, smeared, streaked with neat, powdery lines, powdery lines. I stop. My future flashes before me. The choice is clear, and I'm without fear, but there it is. The thing my mother told me would someday happen. Not just hard drugs being offered to you, and why it might be important for a young person with a future to say, no, thanks. <laughs> something insidious unnecessary and unwanted, ridiculous even. An event most definitely occurring through the faulty choice of a man. Flash forward through my entire life to date, you ready? <laughs> to kicking a boy's ass at a church lock-in where I was the only girl and being mercilessly flirted with, oh, I mean teased. To my grandfather trash-talking my mother when my parents went through their divorce to the demeaning and inappropriate joking emails about Bill Clinton fucking 14-year-olds from my sloppy bitch Republican uncle, like not-so-secret pedophilic rape fantasy, anyone, to the nearly broke shopping trip in a Chicago Target with the boyfriend who decides he wants to buy a Lego set 
instead of helping me with groceries, to moving into an apartment with someone nearly 20 years my senior, I know full well I shouldn't be with, don't want, don't love, who is a colossal broken loser, but the dick is unbelievable. To the walking harassment report that my, one of the adult men I currently work with at my shit job, a dude my age with five children, some of whom are girls. Jesus, Herbert, Walker, Texas Ranger fucking Christ, and any other gay man will tell you, guys are 100% total irredeemable pieces of king bullshit. Oh, how they think they can protect you by undermining you. <laughs> Defend you by owning you. Their minds are just more filthy deprivation tank ghetto you have to wade through to get any clarity in this life. Sometimes I think the only real man anymore is the one who uses a misguided set of circumstances to build up a king for being submissive, and he willingly gives me all his money while lying firmly under my bedazzled jackboot. Are there any foot fetishes in the house? So you've heard the demonstrative war is menstrual envy. Ring, right? Yeah, it turns out a lack of consistent coming-of-age ritual has left men to pursue hazing, sadist religious practices, domineering behavior, and just some straight-up, trifling, time-wasting fuckery in the form of their own misandrous daddy issues. Whew, somewhat surprising. Trouble, too, with most of these bastards is that they think they can write. It comes out in the form of a manifesto fiction or otherwise, in the end, about two trees tall. I'm getting to that point where I've exhausted my interest in reading the male canon because it's so goddamn long-winded. It makes me want to die, die, down, 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 and turn through each level of hell. If you've never written anything before in your life and suddenly a book sounds like a good idea, here's your instant editor. I want you to bend open that sweaty band and peek into your pants. If you find a dick, stop. <laughs> Lastly, sheer greed division acquisitiveness and stockpiling of assets and resources aside, men want, they want to be obsolete. Their obsolescence will be their own fault directly and they like it that way. It should be no surprise to anyone that any large organization with solely men in charge, AKA a terrorist organization, <laughs> are looking with great zeal after one thing, to be named responsible for bringing about the end of the world. That's the proven fattest ego badge anyone could put on their posthumous lapels, am I right? Professional eschatologist. Some aspiring mass murderers even think they can do it single-handedly by becoming one-man firing squads. Henceforth, active shooter is now a choice phrase in everyone's lexicon. I'm done. You decide. All right. Katie Turman. I just want to, before Shimmy comes up, I just want to point out that, that, uh, that that's my wife and I'm a writer. So I just want to point that out. I just want to point that out just so you can know my obsolescence. Ladies and, ladies and gentlemen, Shimmy Hernandez, come on. Come on. Down here. There you go. All right, all right. Come on. Yeah. Come on. 
right, guys, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. You guys fucking love men. Ooh. Ladies, what the fuck will we do without these men? We need them. You know, we need somebody we can talk shit to every day, all day, put their asses down. They are very essential to us. We need you men. We would lose our fucking minds if we didn't have you guys. Seriously, I walk around with this shit, condoms. I walk around with them, okay? I couldn't use you, these, if you guys weren't around. You understand what I'm saying? We need you, and I want to use these tonight. So if all you motherfuckers disappear tonight, I'm fucked. Right? I am. Seriously. And these are actually really good. They're, they look like candy. If Anybody? Yeah? Oh, okay. I, I do. I, I love men. I think that there is a drag queen guy living inside of me because I act very mannish. That's why I like men because I think like a man. You know, I wake up in the morning with morning wood just like you fuckers. It's easy. Do you understand how hard it is to be a woman? That's why I want to be a man. And that's why I'm for men. You understand? Like, I just recently became a woman. Started taking showers and shit. Started fucking spraying rose water and all this crap. I want to just get, I'm bleeding right now. Do you understand? Men, you don't got to de deal with this shit. This is why I fucking adore you guys. To the core, to the T. We need men, because women, women are about, well, we rule the world. We can't even change the tire. What the fuck are we going to do? We need men to change the tire. You know, I'm, this is what I'm trying to figure out here, okay? Women, we get frowned upon when we take plan B. You understand that shit? Men do not. Men kill more babies, right? On my hair, on my back, on my dress. You see what I'm saying? This is what men got it fucking going on. Jealous of men, man. I'm serious. I wish, I, I wish everything I was saying up here was just to say it, but this is all true. I want to be a man, badly. A white man, specifically. <laughs> I want a sex change, man. Oh, you have no idea. I have, uh, there's a couple of Mormon, actually, Jehovah's Witness have come to my house, and I have a white board, you see, white. I have a white fucking house, white car, everything is white. I love white men. Do you, you understand? You understand? You understand? You understand? You understand? On this whiteboard, I have written down, you know, my stuff that I, you know, my, my goals. Two Jehovah's Witness come by to my house, two young girls, they come inside my kitchen, not come, but come to sit down. I don't know what you're thinking. Because I'm in your head right now. You're in my fucking head. I'm in yours. Anyways, one of them was nosy and was looking around and noticed the whiteboard and it said, I want a sex change. I'm tired of being a man. And all she did was look over me and said, we are going to pray for you right now, right? They prayed for me to not get the sex change. But I'm still thinking about it. I do. I don't know. I love men. Any single guys in here? Really? No single men? Oh, come on. You're single? I, I can see you. He's coming? Don't worry. He's coming? Oh, shit. Does he got money, though? Now, hold up. Now, does he got money? He's got enough to buy me drinks. All right, good. That's good enough for he me. He's got that good dick. Oh, he's got that good dick? He's got that good dick. Oh, I like that good dick. I got you, fam. Well, thank you, fam. We want... Uh, the thing is, let me tell you, why we need men, why they're so important... I don't know. I, I like, don't get me wrong, women, I'm attracted to women, they're beautiful, but I like 
You see, we didn't, look at this. You understand what this is used for? See what this is used for? Come on. Come on. Two men. What the fuck is wrong with you people? We would not survive if we didn't have you guys. We need you guys. We do. We really, really do. We really do, you know? We need us so that way, we, you know, companies can stay in business, you know, like those sex robots, all because of men. Porn, all because of men. You know, all this shit. It's, you know, crying in your bed with a broken fucking heart, all because of men. Who the fuck wants to get rid of that shit? It's America, baby. That's what we need, fucking pain, right? That's what men do. Why would we want to get rid of that? Why? Would you want to get rid of that? I didn't think you would. Unless you're gay. If you're gay, then fuck them, right? If you're a lesbian, fuck them. Gay men would lose their fucking minds if all you fuckers died. Be hell, fucking all hell breaks loose, right? It's true, you guys should think about this because you know, you guys are very important to us. At least I think so anyways. I don't know, what am I doing on time? You got uh, about two minutes. <laughs> two minutes, oh shit. I mean, you can stop anytime you want. Oh no, I'm gonna keep going just like a man. I you are. Oh, I don't stop. Men do not stop. Men. I was actually, believe it or not, the reason why I like men so much because I was actually having really fucking good sex. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's fucking true. Hell yeah, bro. It's so. It was so good. The guy was so good that like I would call. I called people after I was done. <laughs> call my mom. I'm serious. I called her up. <laughs> called my grandma. She's dead. Because my grandma, before she died, she said, listen, Mika, if you find the right one, you better tell me. And I was like, ay, abuelita, he's the one. Good night. <laughs> All right. Come on up, Dana German and Shimmy Hernandez. Does anybody have a question for either of our debaters tonight? Anybody? I do. All right, bring it. Is this, I'm assuming that's for Shimmy. All right, he wants to really, how good is that penis? You have a minute to tell us. Let's go. Was it really that good, and why are you not with that penis anymore? Well, because women, we, are fu we fuck things up as always, so I fucked that up. I mean, he was a simple, stupid guy, as all guys are, but that's it. That's it. That's it. All right, it was good. Well, it was good. That answer. It was good. Dana's doing push ups. How many can you do? That's it. How many push ups can she said that's it? How many was that? That was like 12, no, I think. No, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just... That was like six. Okay, six, fine. I thought it was 12. I don't know. Any other questions other than Pearson? <laughs> Donald! Are men obsolete? Or are they necessary? Oh, necessary. Being a man, more specifically, being a middle-aged white man... Don't I, don't I get the off-white credit? You do get the off-white crowd. I'm just saying. Think about it. You're planning your own obsolescence, potentially. You're a man now. You're a man. <laughs> Don't forget that. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> uh, be careful. Uh, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> All the way down. Dan talked about, Dan talked about the, 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 the obsolescence in the sense that it, you know, through war, re, you know, really. But my which I kind of agree with, but the, the problem is, is, is um, a lot of women, as we know, even in Alabama, um, the main person who signed all those fucking, uh, that, that abortion bill in Chalop was not a man, but in fact an old grandma. Wow. She'll fuck herself too. 
but it's, it's, it's really a 51-49% argument, isn't it? It certainly is. And, and, uh, man, I, I, and you are the decider. <laughs> All the pressure is on you, Society. Because what is decided here in Bug House is binding. And there's no, and there, and there's no draw. No. There's no draw. You gotta make, you gotta pick a winner. Pick one, Donnie. Come on. Pick one. Pick, Pick one. one. We got karaoke at nine. Come on. Tails. Always tails. And it's it's actually tails. It's uh there it is. Tails. So who wins? Shimmy. Uh, Shimmy Hernandez. Marisol. franchise that says this is what the future is. This is what we hope the future will be. Created by Gene Roddenberry. We have another franchise that was in a galaxy long ago, far, far away, whatever the fuck it is. Long time ago, but it's still in space. There's a space thing. Created by George Lucas. The question at hand, debated by E.T. Wilson, and Michael Burson, which is the better franchise, Star Trek or Star Wars? Now, I'm just gonna let those two gentlemen know, not only he's biased, before the show he told me Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery would have me jizz in my face like a 12-year-old. So I'm just saying, there's some bias, but that's the way the oligarchy works. So. This. What does this mean, everybody? Live long and prosper, right. A directive, something to tell people. Live long and prosper. Or you can have, may the force be with you. It may, it may not, who knows? <laughs> Live long and prosper. May the force be with you. That'd be nice, wouldn't it be nice if the force was with us? Whatever. Well, see, my theory is Gene Roddenberry liked people and wanted to show progress and inclusivity. George Lucas doesn't give a shit about any of you. And I can prove that by watching the special editions <laughs> of the original trilogy which you have to say now, original trilogy, as opposed to the one, two, and three, where he basically took a whole bunch of stuff and made Darth Vader go, no! Ridiculous. See, when I was a kid, the thing that I really liked was that Star Trek was in our homes. It was brought to us. You could watch these people all different races and creeds coming together for a common cause to explore new adventures and new ideas. That to me was really important when I was a little kid. And I'll tell you, the first job I ever had in my life was at a video store. And when those Star Trek episodes came out on tape, wow. 
everybody was so excited. And you could just see in people's faces that, that the, the, the hope and the yearning for inclusivity and the yearning for, for discovering new things and bringing people together all was encompassed in this show. Yeah, the acting wasn't so hot, but still, it was all about bringing people together. And I think about this anecdote that I'd heard about uh, uh, Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhura in the original series, who was, in fact, such a badass that she said, I'm not doing that Michelle shit. I'm going one more, Nichelle. That's right, her name's Nichelle Nichols. But anyway, she was at a party. She was a little tired of being on the show. She didn't feel like she was being used well and everything like that. And somebody said, oh, there's a big fan here who wants to, wants to talk to you. She said, well, okay, fine, sure. And up walked Martin Luther King. Went up to her, shook her hand, and said to her, you know, your show not only is one of my favorites, but it's the only show I let my kids watch. Because you are a strong black woman and that is something that is such a role model that we need in our society. And then when she told him that she was thinking about leaving the show, he basically came this close to just begging her, please stay on the show. You don't, you, what you are doing for our culture and our community is so important. And I think that really says a lot, because he never said shit about Star Wars. <laughs> it's true. So, but let me get back to the whole Gene Roddenberry, George Lucas. Gene Roddenberry, his idea was actually, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, an old show called Wagon Train. It was basically explorers going to different areas, meeting new people and everything like that. And he wanted to bring that to space. George Lucas, well, he brought people fighting, people angry with each other. Obviously, very, very angry family relationships. And we don't need that. What we need is something like Star Trek where everybody, like I said, can come together, can go forth and be the best that they can be. The people in Star Wars are not even from this planet. They're not even us. They're, yeah, they look like us, they sound like us, fine. But you got an Iowa farm boy running around space doing everything he can to bring people together. And especially today, I think we need that a lot more than we have. How much time do I have left? You've got like three minutes. I got three minutes. Well, okay. Uh, well, you know, I, I don't know what else to say really because, I could, yeah, I, exactly, exactly. I could go through all those shows. I could show you, you know, okay, Star Trek Voyager, a female, Captain, Fem future is female, right? Okay, uh, and and the new series, um, it, it's, uh, I don't have CBS All Access, so I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard wonderful things. <laughs> and I will say one more thing. Um, I think this kind of encapsulates why Star Trek is better than Star Wars, and I can say it with one name: Jar Jar Binks. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the venerable E.T. Wilson for Star Wars. Give him a hand. Yeah. All right.
All right, all right, all right. In the summer of 1977, I was nine years old. And like millions of fans for decades to follow, I experienced something on the big screen that year that changed my life. Of course, I'm talking about the film Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> now, also, there was Star Wars. And uh, the lines for Star Wars were around the block by the time the school year had ended. Uh, the excitement was palpable, national, actually. And when that theater went dark, and bang, that symphony music hit, oh my god, as those golden letters scrolled up, fading into the stars on the screen, I was blown away. And I can still relive that experience 42 years later. I loved it so much, I owned the fucking album, man. The John Williams Star Wars classical score double fucking album at nine years old. That's how I rolled in 1977. And I played the hell out of it, too. And these were the days of ear pods, personal playlists. The Sony Walkman wasn't even invented yet. I played that fucking music all the time, and the only place I could do that was on the family record player in the living room. Now, my stepsisters were teenagers, and they didn't want to hear that shit. So I'm not surprised that when I returned from summer break in 78, my Star Wars record was gone, never to be heard or heard from again. But it didn't matter. By then, I had all of the Kenner action figures. I distinctly remember a tortoise shell makeup box with gold latches that I proudly used to keep all my Star Wars treasures. And I took it everywhere. I took that thing into the bathroom with me, into the tub. Luke, Luke. Remember your failure at the cave. <laughs> Give it a second. To my nine to 10 year old mind, Star Wars was pure fantasy gold. Which begs the question, why would we even compare a fantasy franchise like Star Wars to a science fiction series? Now, besides, if we're gonna compare Star Trek to a fantasy series, we're better off going with the Lord of the Rings films, especially the hours upon hours of footage of hobbits hobbling their way across New Zealand. That is the fantasy equivalent of watching anything Star Trek. In 1979, jonesing for the upcoming sequel, The Empire Strikes Back, I remember going to the movies to watch the first ever Star Trek film, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yeah. Now, everything you need to know is right there in the title. They literally had to tell you it was a motion picture. It was barely a talkie. It's, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I mean, the writers later invented Ambien. That's how fucking bad this is. Now, Star Wars, meanwhile, was in the process of changing filmmaking forever. Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, uh, the special effects team organized for Star Wars, changed movie special effects for the entire industry, globally. Star Wars is a technical, creative, and cultural global phenomenon. People all over the world love Star Wars. Even reclusive Tibetan monks know who Yoda is. <laughs> you know who likes Star Trek? Hopeful nerds. Mm -hmm. Hopeful nerds find the following appealing entertainment. Every Star Trek episode goes something like this. The crew discovers a new planet. Something goes wrong for the away team, especially the red shirts. And then everyone does the right thing. Nap time. <laughs> you know, <sighs> it's, it's, that's every plot line in the Star Trek universe. 
Humans of the future, noble beasts that they are apparently, stumbling all over each other to do the right fucking thing all the time. Boring! And completely unrealistic. I mean, talk about fantasy, it's 2019. Humans can't even agree what a fact is. We are not kumbayaing it across the universe together, ever. So, if we're gonna anoint one of these science fantasy series, the greatest of all time, I think we should go with the one that's a hell of a lot more fun. Now, here are a few notable, fun-themed comparisons. Star Wars has lightsabers, plasma blades, ripped straight from my fucking childhood imagination that cut through limbs and steel, everything. Star Trek puts its phasers on stun, which, I mean, come on. Star Wars has incredible <laughs> spaceships, TIE fighters, X-wings, epic, amazing space battles with moon-sized Death Stars, the Planet Killers, and the fucking Millennium Falcon. Star Trek has the same tired old battleship-gray pizza cutter, the Starship Pepperoni. <laughs> It's the Enterprise, sometimes with a different name, sometimes not, in every fucking movie, in every fucking TV show, and they all look the same. They should have named it the USS Warm Milk, because that's what I feel like drinking whenever the nap time show comes out. It is, it's a nap time show. Star Wars has timeless lines like, I got a bad feeling about this. May the force be with you. No, I am your father. Star Trek has Khan! That's it! Which I'm pretty sure they put that in the movie to wake the audience. Now, the next Star Trek release will challenge the global box office earnings of all time again. Uh, the latest Star Trek incarnation is a TV show on CBS, and not regular broadcast CBS either. It's some other CBS that CBS <laughs> makes you pay for. And currently, there are two notable shows on CBS Pay Me. And the Star Trek show plays second fiddle to a spin-off of The Good Wife, which is sad. It's sad even for Star Trek. Now, the good news is, this is good news. This is really good news. There is still a chance we may get a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film, which if he goes full Quentin and we get some sort of quasi-racist, rapey vibe, foot fetish Star Trek, I would watch the hell out of that shit. I'm imagining a giant foot-shaped spaceship, the Uma Thurman, wandering the galaxy, somehow still doing the right thing. Star Wars has its own fucking day. May the fourth be with you. And no, I don't have a speech impediment. Which brings me to the merchandising of a franchise. Star Wars created the action figure global market as it exists today, with billions of dollars in sales since A New Hope. I saw a Star Trek jigsaw puzzle in the bargain bin at Target. Data's squished face on the box all sad. Do they even make Star Trek Legos? Anybody know? They make Star Wars Legos movies. Star Wars has amazing video games too. Battle, uh, Battlefront, Knights of the Old Republic. Have you ever played a Star Trek game? Yeah. If you haven't, consider yourself lucky as they're even more boring than the show. Uh, typically, you play a Starfleet officer, and guess what? It's your job to go do the right thing. <laughs> Nap time. Nap time again. Look, if Seth MacFarlane can make the best Star Trek show ever with the Orville, how can we even consider anything other than Star Wars as the greatest franchise of all time? And in conclusion, look, 
Star Wars has Darth Vader, the Liberace of space. <laughs> Think about it. They have identical hair. They both sport cloaked and bedazzled costumes, and both do terrible things to the younglings. <laughs> Seriously, uh, Darth Vader is the greatest villain in any genre of film or TV, and I'm not even going to offer up a sacrificial Star Trek yin to that mighty yang. Oh, wait. Khan! Yeah. All right. All right, we've got. Stay up here, Eric. Come on up, Michael. We've got Michael, Star Trek. We've got E.T. Wilson for the amazing Star Wars. So, any questions for either one? Uh, same question for both of them. Star Wars or Star Trek? Well, we, we just did that. No, no, no. Well, they're actual. No, no, no. We don't. We don't that's the thing. Their actual opinions are reflected by their personal. That's the thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can ask them afterwards if they really believed it. But for the purposes of this exercise, any other? Donald. Star Trek sucks. Did did your was your main was your mind changed? You're giving it to Star Wars? E.T. Wilson wins! Tell people about it. If you enjoy Bug House, we've got another, uh, we've got another, what, Ryan, is it June 24th? June 24th, we've got another Bug House. We'll keep doing it here at Bunk House. Go to literate.com. Thank Donald Hickey. Donald Hickey for judging, yes! Tip your bartender because your your good wishes don't pay his fucking rent, right? Am I right? A little tip works, little cashola. And uh, you can see definitely Shimmy all over town um, doing stand-up. You can see Pearson in odd places. I'll give you a business card. Give him, go talk to Pearson, he'll give you a business card. But thank you very much all for coming. Stick around for karaoke, rock and roll. Thank you.